later in today's service, we'll be sharing the Lord's Supper together. That's why our service is oriented a little bit differently, so that we're now at the moment of the sermon in preparation for sharing at the Lord's table in a little bit. The sermon text for today is found in Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 through 11. Since then, you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these The wrath of God is coming. You used to walk in these ways in the life you once lived, but now you must rid yourselves of all such things as these, anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to each other, since you have taken off your old self with its practices and have put on the new self which is being renewed in the in knowledge in the image of its creator here there is no greek or jew circumcised or uncircumcised barbarian scythian slave or free but christ is all and is in all This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Lord Jesus Christ, as we still ourselves in your presence, as we wait and rest in your presence, we pray that these words from your word, these words from scripture would sink into our hearts and shape us and form us. And that the reflections that I give here now would just be commentary or exposition or something to to help those words sink more deeply into us. Speak to each of our hearts, I pray, and help us to be aware of your presence in this moment. It's in your holy and precious name we pray these things. Amen. Well, it's a good thing we don't have any of those issues from Colossians 3 in our own lives, right? Anger, rage, malice, slander, filthy language, lying to each other. That's what they do, whoever they are. But that's not what we do, whoever we are. One of the key ideas that I think has really marked our culture in recent years the idea of divisiveness and division, us versus them, kind of a dualistic way of 
thinking and approaching the world. Whatever is good in the world applies to people that are us. And whatever is bad in the world, of course, is done by somebody else, somebody who's not us. Um, But it's so easy for us to practice these things, malice, rage, anger, slander, all the others, without even realizing that we're doing it. It's human for us to be polarized and to look down on others that are different from us in some capacity. The division or divisiveness or polarization in our, in our culture, I think, shows a dark underside to the human situation. And it's not just in the divisiveness that we see or observe or feel. It's in how we actually view ourselves. It seems to me that to look down on someone else requires that, or or often, uh, doesn't necessarily require, but often includes uh, uh, looking down on one's own self. In order to look down on somebody else, there's an underlying dislike of what's inside that we don't often recognize. We might not even like ourselves sometimes, and so we take that out on other people. Self-doubt or self-loathing, regret for past decisions, frustration at a lack of change in our own lives, a hopelessness, an apathy, a despair. These are quiet things that affect many of us, but we don't talk about them openly. And I'd like to suggest that many of us who believe in the us versus them mentality actually struggle, perhaps subconsciously, with a negative view of ourselves. We berate others and tear other people down and think poorly of them as a way of covering our own insecurities. If other people are bad, then maybe we're not quite that bad. If someone else is missing the mark, then maybe I'm a little bit closer to the bullseye than that person is. If someone else is a loser, then maybe I'm less of one. I'm reminded of a friend that I had in middle school. Uh, We were friends through middle school and high school, and then we kind of parted ways, and uh, I haven't really heard from him since. He and I were chess nerds together. Uh, We were on the chess team, and uh, all of the negative stuff that went along with that happened to us. Well, we didn't get stuffed in lockers or trash cans, I guess, but you know, uh, we were not on the popular end of the spectrum in middle school. Middle school, those terrible and wonderful years where you're trying to figure out who you are and how you fit into the broader world and where we figure out who we can make fun of and who we shouldn't. Um, anyway, this friend of mine, I remember vividly At the lunch table, on multiple occasions, he said, a line that must have been taught to him by his parents or by some other figure in his life, something to help him deal with the issue of people kind of making fun of him. He said, you can't make your candle shine brighter by blowing mine out. You've heard something like that probably, right? My candle doesn't, blowing my candle out doesn't make your candle shine any brighter. And, and he relied on that for a long time, yeah, I'm sure, in, in middle school and high school too. 
it's, um, it's, it's related to this concept of bullying that we have seen uh, arise in recent years. Um, bullying has become a major issue for our young people to deal with in schools in many different capacities. And bullies do the same thing. They degrade, they tear down, they insult, they mistreat people more often than not because they have something broken inside themselves because there's a low view of the self which they project onto the others around them. It happens all over the place all the time. Unhealthy self-identity and unhealthy relationships with others often go together. James read for us from Luke 12 where uh, Jesus is approached by somebody in the crowd who says, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. That is a painful request for that person to make. It's painful because, number one, the parents have died. And so there is grief involved. You don't divide an inheritance until the parents have died. Teacher, tell, the, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. It's painful because of the loss of the parents, but it's also painful because of the fractured relationship between these siblings. There must have been conversations between the two of them that were not resolved. And now this one comes to Jesus to say, let's, let's see if you can figure this out. You know, nothing strains family relationships like a funeral. I've seen this so many times. Funerals are supposed to be times when people come together and support each other in the time of loss and the time of grief. But so often families are torn apart at funeral times because of the stuff because of the vehicles or the land or the buildings or the clothes or whatever it might be. And there's friction and there's conflict. And it's not really about the stuff at all. It's about the grief that we don't know how to express to each other. Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. It's not just a cry for equality of stuff. It's a sign of division within the family where people should have the healthiest and most meaningful relationships. Jesus urges the man not to find his identity in material things, but to be rich toward God, who is the source of identity and life. That leads us to Colossians 3. God as the source of identity and life. As I look at Colossians 3, I see a couple of major categories of truth that are set out by this passage. The first is a truth or set of truths about life in general. What this passage says about life is that we have been raised with Christ. Our life is hidden with Christ in God. It is concealed. It is safe with God. Christ is our life. We have put on the new self We are being renewed in the image of of our creator. The truth about our identity and our life, for those of us who follow Jesus, is that our identity and life begin and end in Jesus. And a second major category of truths contained in this passage had to do with the promise of what is coming. Something about the future. This passage says, Christ will appear. You, we will appear with him. The wrath of God is coming. 
That sounds awfully negative. Wrath is associated with anger and vengeance. But in this context, wrath is not just about anger and vengeance. It's also about action that is driven by great passion or great overwhelming desire. The truth about our identity and life, for those of us who follow Jesus, is that our identity and life are rooted in God's future activity and not just in our present experiences. God desires to see something happen so much that he will come. He will bring us to himself. These things will happen. God is not just in the present, but God is always moving us into the future. Over the past several weeks, we've been digging into wisdom as a biblical concept. Jesus is the personalization of divine wisdom. We see wisdom in the life of Jesus himself. And it's in Jesus, Colossians says, that we have new life. A life that is not driven by sinfulness or by anxieties. Christ is our life. And we have been given the new life of wisdom in him. And so we live holy lives, sanctified lives. Holiness and sanctification are related terms, and they're important words for us in the church of God. Uh, Holiness is about being set apart from the way of the world, living according to the way of Christ. Holiness is not to be understood as living according to sets of rules. Do this or don't do that. That's just an outworking of holiness, perhaps. And that kind of thinking, following this rule or not following uh, doing that activity, uh, that kind of thinking only leads us back to the us versus them dualism of our world. I'm so thankful that I'm not a sinner. I'm so thankful that I don't live that way. I I must be valuable to God because at least I'm not as terrible of a person as so-and-so. I'm so glad that I have seen the light that uh, I'm not like robbers or adulterers or evildoers or tax collectors. I fast twice a week and I give a tenth of all that I get. Jesus said something about that once in Luke 18. That approach to holiness is only a thin cover over low self-esteem. Just like bullying is. We prop ourselves up because of what we do without allowing Christ into us to transform us from the inside out. True biblical holiness is about life in and with Christ. It's about openness and honesty and self-revelation before God, just as God has revealed himself to us in Jesus. Working with God to eliminate those attitudes and behaviors that are destructive and unhealthy is a crucial part of the life of holiness. Holiness means living out the new reality of life in a community of people that are on the same journey. People who are not the same as each other, but people who have put on the new self. People who are being renewed in the image of Jesus. Colossians says that here, there is no Greek or Jew. Which is a pretty bold thing to say because those social and ethnic and national divisions 
actually still existed within the church. There were people who were Jews and people who were not that were Gentiles. Jew and Gentile is a basic division between Jews and not Jews. And, and those divisions still existed in the church. People still had those identities. Colossians says there is not circumcised or uncircumcised, meaning those who followed the Jewish law and those who didn't, who were not, who were not ethnically Jewish and didn't grow up with the, with the Old Testament law. Those divisions still existed. There were still people who were circumcised and people who were not men, I suppose. There were still those religious differences. Colossians says there is not barbarian. Uh, we sort of understand that term. We sort of use that term in, in a pejorative sense. There is not Scythian. Scythian is a weird word. We don't use that. Uh, you might think of it as like savage, um, another term that's a little bit kind of an insult. Uh, there's not barbarian, there's not Scythian, there's not slave or free. Well, in that context, there still were, of course, slave people and free people. Those divisions still physically, literally existed, but Colossians has the audacity to say, those divisions do not exist, for we are one in Christ. Christ is all and is in all. The distinctions that exist within our world do not define the boundaries of the people of God. Christ encompasses both Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, and free. In Christ there is not us versus them. Christ encompasses all the divisions that exist in our culture, black and white and brown, American and foreign, citizen and illegal immigrant, English speaker and Spanish speaker, male and female, Republican and Democrat, conservative and liberal, urban and rural, rich and poor, educated and uneducated, young and old, single and attached and married and divorced and remarried and widowed, childbearing and childless, Protestant and Catholic, any of the divisions that we can imagine, Christ is all and is in all. Christ encompasses people on all sides of these divisions. Christ is the place where you belong, no matter who you are or where you have come from. Christ is the place where you can find life, no matter what you believe or think or feel about yourself. Christ is the place where a new community is born, where you can practice showing hospitality and love to others, where you can welcome others into your life, where you can share new experiences with others. Christ is the place where you can learn holiness, where you can put to death whatever belongs to your earthly nature, whatever thoughts or practices you have that might be damaging or harmful or disrespectful to yourself or to others. Christ is the place where you can be renewed in knowledge in the image of your creator, where you can learn a new self-identity and an identity in community that is based on love and mutual respect and life in Christ. Christ is all and is in all. The most beautiful and 
poignant and tangible way that we demonstrate this reality and that we remind ourselves of this truth is in the sharing of the Lord's Supper. We gather at Christ's table as the body of Christ. Scripture teaches us that we are the body of Christ. Each of us is a member of God's body, Christ's body. And so we share in this meal as the body of Christ. And we share in this meal which Jesus said is his body and his blood. So as we eat the bread and drink the juice, we are doing something very important about showing that Christ is in us in a metaphorical, symbolic, spiritual sort of way. In this practice, we proclaim the death of Jesus as the victory of God's wisdom, the source of our life. We proclaim our mutuality, our our level playing field as all of us eat of the same bread and drink the same juice. We symbolize and embody what we say we believe, that Christ is our life, that Christ is in us. And as we prepare now to do that together, we do so in a way that honors the instructions of Colossians 3. We put to death the old self and its practices. We rid ourselves of things that dishonor God. We prepare ourselves for this divine encounter for this renewal of the image of God in us and among us. So I invite you to take a moment to examine yourself. As we approach the Lord's table in a worthy manner to recognize the body of the Lord, not just to to recognize the body of the Lord represented by the bread and the juice on this table, but to recognize the body of Christ that exists in the people around you. Let this be a moment of deep reflection and confession and awareness of God's forgiving and life-giving presence in this place. 